And yes, we're in the final. Uh, yeah, we should be able to finish. And oh yeah, we don't have that much. That's good that we don't have that half hour. But yes, we're in part three of the gospel that doesn't save an examination of general revelation. All right, last week we ended up with going through Romans chapter ten, verses sixteen through eighteen. And we we remember that 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 quotation Paul uses in verse seventeen was quoting Psalm nineteen. I have made a creation. Verse four, yes. That looks this like is the start of a blanket on a rod. Okay, hmm. what is it? The start of a blanket. Don't waste your string. I'm not. <laughs> it looks like a. It's a beating. Stick. It looks like a string kebab. You're just messing around. You're going to probably undo it anyway. Fluff. Feel fluffy. That's don't, pretty cool, though, how you spun it. that. Okay, I see what you did with the stick. All right. That's pretty good. But remember, we put the, the uh, quotation there. Yeah, Grandma, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why would you do that? You just unpinched five. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh, I redo the whole thing. Oh, no. It's all right. You got time. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, the quotation that we used in Romans 10 was from remember, Psalm 19, and it was verse 4, which was expounding on general revelation. All right, so we're not going to reco- we'll redo that again. All right, so ne- the next verse we have is Revelation chapter 16, verse 9. Speaking of end times, this is in the end times. This is in the tribulation period. It says, uh, men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent, so as to give him glory. We have seen above in Romans 132 that all people know that judgment is coming someday for their sin by their accusing consciences, yet they continue in their sin because they love it more than they fear the judgment to come. Here we see that even when judgment is coming, so this, these people are under judgment, it's not eternal judgment because they're still alive, but they're in, they're in the tribulation judgment, which is intense. Um, and, but they refuse to repent for the same reason. I brought this text in, though, because you can see these people are blaspheming the name of God, further demonstrating that although they clearly don't know him in a saving way, they have knowledge of God and know where this judgment is coming from. So you see these are unbelievers. And they're being, they're being in the in the tribulation period. They're here. It says they're being scorched with fierce heat. There's all kinds of judgments in the tribulation period, but they they're blaspheming the name of God. So they're blaspheming Him. So they know whom where these judgments are coming from. But again, the the love for sin is so strong that outside of an effective call in the heart, where God regenerates somebody. That even in the midst of judgment, people will refuse to give up their sin and turn to the Lord. But I think the, the reason I did this one is because it underlines, the Lord says, the name of God. That they, they know these judgments are coming from God, even though they don't believe in Jesus Christ, where they'd be saved. Now, one thing I always note to people is that during the tribulation, there's intense, intense, intense judgments in the tribulation period. What you got to realize is the increased light 
that's going on in the tribulation period. And so the people's refusal, I mean, you'll, they'll be living the book of Revelation. The events will be living, you know, producing themselves out. And so I think the one reason there's the, the, the judgments are so intense. We're not even talking about eternal. These, these are, they're still alive. The judgments are so intense. And it's a hard book to read sometimes. It's because you're, so, you're given so much light. And you refuse so much light about Jesus. Can you imagine being in the tribulation period and somebody could walk up to you in the Bible and say, this is exactly what's happening. This is a description of what's happening. And you can take, you take them in the temple's belt and hey, this guy sat in it, claimed to be God. He's asking you to put a mark. I mean, so many details you could specifically say. And if you refuse that, there's going to be intense increased judgments, even on a temporal level. But the reason we brought that in here this time is because you can see they're blaspheming God. And so they're screaming curse words or whatever at God. And so they know they're not atheists. They're not saying, oh, these judgments are coming from, from evolution or, or whatever. The universe is doing this. No, they know that God is doing this. And yet, the love for sin is so intense in the human unredeemed human heart that it takes, even though all can and should repent, obviously they're being judged for not repenting, but they won't do it because unless they, unless God does an additional work of grace in the heart because of the love for sin. So you see there, people in the tribulation period will know, they know that God is, or God is doing the things that are going on. All right, the next section we have is and you, anytime you all have a question, just let me know. This is Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our, our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. A lot of this general revelation can be summed up in the phrase that we are made in the image of God. Human beings alone are described biblically as being made in the image in God's image. Without going too in depth as to what this means, it certainly includes a knowledge of the one in whose image we are made. This is illustrated, for example, by even the most arduous atheist still knowing that child rape is an evil thing. Even though they would deny any ultimate moral standard, they cannot avoid a deep inner sense of, the, of righteousness and evil. And so, when you're talking to anybody, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, or in a false religion, or an atheist or anything, they are made in the image of God. And this kind of summarizes what we're talking about. With, you know, Earlier we were talking about the conscience and the God's law being written on your heart. Anybody, you know, anybody who comes up to you and says, well, you know, there is no God. We're all, we all just evolved from slime and over the years and survival of the fittest. And then you just say, well, what, you know, what would make it wrong, would it be wrong for me to, to, you know, the, what is something heinous, like murder you or murder your wife and rape your family and take everything you have? Would that be wrong? And, and in a worldview where there's no God, you cannot say that'd be wrong. But they know it's wrong. And so there's an inner sense in there where you, you can't get, very rarely can you get somebody to say, yeah, that, that would be okay. That would be a righteous thing to do. Because again, we're made in the image of God. So everybody 
that we're talking to is an, is an image bearer. All right, any questions? We're moving along pretty good. And next week, or we might even begin if we get flying through here, is we'll, we'll start to apply this to evangelism. But again, you can tell you know how we're going to go with that is is that people can't avoid, nobody can avoid the fact that they're made in God's image. They know, they know that God exists. They know there's righteousness. They know there's evil and there's good. And but if you deny a God. And if you just say that everything just happened by chance, then you have absolutely no standing to say that anything's evil at all. And uh, sadly, that's where a lot of people, that's kind of, you look around the world where we're living in, and if you, if you just deny God long enough in your heart, and he'll turn you over to it, and it leads to this nonstop. I've always said that I, I tremble for this generation coming up, or any generation, well, I mean, any generation, but this generation coming up, because they've lived, since, you know, how, when was Roe versus Wade passed? It was 60s? Mm-hmm. So it's been about a full, almost generation and a half now, or, of, a, of a country who, we say whatever you want to say. We say, well, it's okay to kill, and if, as, long as, they don't, yeah, as long as they haven't been born yet. That, t- that ingrains in somebody's view, worldview, that it's okay to kill. And so you have these people coming up now who, in your people are surprised that kids take guns into schools and, and you know, Democrats will get on TV and just how appalled and how this is gun violence and everything else, and yet they, they justify and legalize the killing of infants. The killing of unborn infants. Somebody texted me. Ding, 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 ding. So, you see how this this denial, you know, when when a a massive group of people and have these laws and that has that has its consequences and effects on people, and so how can you tell a teenage kid, well, it's morally wrong for you to go into a school and kill people, but how many thousands of babies are killed every day in the womb? And I, I mean, it's insane to think to to try and make the case that that's not a child in there, that it's something else. Why you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if if you were trying to eliminate something or someone, and and if you don't do with that process, you're going to have a baby born. So you know, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where, and so you see the fruits of that now. But I'm I'm happy to see that there's at least some fighting back going on. A lot of fighting back with laws and things that's going one way or the other. States are either going really crazy and saying you can do the abortion all the way up to birth, which is, that's just infanticide. I mean, it's, it's, it is anyway, even if you, but that's just making it real clear what it is. And then you have other states setting really high standards and trying to do their best. And, and I'll say Trump is doing some things too. I'll say I never dreamed in the world I'd say this, but Trump is probably my favorite president I've ever, including Reagan. Because he doesn't care. He just he, care. he said he he just flat out is not a politician. He just now he angers a lot of people and he and I'm not saying he's a Christian because I don't think he is. But hopefully I I he's doing a lot of good things, especially with Israel and he's you know fighting for the abortion and he can roll over on those things. He can roll over on those things. And again, I'm not saying he might not in the future. And he's certainly 
had a history of doing everything, doing nothing that wasn't for his own personal benefit. I know that. But I've just been very impressed as him as a politician or as a president to the point where I'd even stick a sign in my yard this time. <laughs> Especially compared to anything on oh the Democratic God. side. Good grief. Nice. They are. I mean, it is incredibly extreme. They were playing on the radio some of the things that Biden said. He's a freaking idiot. Yeah, they said, I didn't watch much of it. Like I said, I couldn't stand it. But they said that he did very poorly and that he, he did. dropped I listened to one answer and he didn't He didn't look like he was even <laughs> answering the question. I he, know it. I think yeah, he went he, in. He looks down and all my time. Yeah. He's just not with it. Well, I, he might be. He's old, you know, and, know. and but also he's a lot of times you're the front runner. You're just trying to protect, and so you go in there with the talking points. Like, no matter what anybody asks me, who did that on the Republican side one time during the last election, where you could tell that they just had nothing but talking points ready, and even it was I think it was Rubio that that every question was he just had his little platform, and it hurts you because people you can see right through that. Sure. Or Trump, but he just say whatever he's saying. <laughs> See, I heard he did very poorly. But he, in my opinion, he's the only person who would have a chance to beat Trump, would be Biden. Because just he, you know, was the vice president there for a while. But that didn't yeah, go well for him, I heard. He endorsed him. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know that. I heard that. I think Rush Limbaugh said that. He said, Obama's not stupid. He's not going to. Yeah, he, well, he waited a long time to, to endorse Hillary, I think during that last time but he did eventually and I'm sure he, he'll end up endorsing whoever is the, yeah. he doesn't want to look like a fool probably and doesn't want to endorse somebody who might not he might mayor not wear. Of South Bend. oh my gosh I mean when, yeah. I, when, when he first came around and started talking I thought you know, he's kind of he says in the he tries to appeal to the Latino crowd so he says something that Che Guevara uses his battle cry uh, the guy in, in South Bend in Florida. I'm talking about the one in South Bend. Oh, that one. Mayor. No, is he the gay man? Is he the gay? Okay. New York. Yeah. Anyone who's married. I really had I had I have to keep up very He's little. Married to a homosexual. Yeah. Oh. They love him in South Bend. Well, they did. They had a shooting, I guess, last week that really hurt him. Mm. The, the the policeman didn't have his camera on, camera on, and he was shot a black guy. No, I guess it got real ugly. Yeah. But anyway, he's just. I, I, They're all nuts, I think, on that side. I'm sorry. I, like I said, I know there's in, there's no Christian party, and but I just find it hard to fathom how you could vote for somebody with those with uh, two issues of abortion and and how they uh, stand for LGBTQ marriage and all that. And I, very quick to always say that homosexuality obviously it is a sin and obviously it is something people need to be saved out of but it's not the only sin you know the Bible gives all kinds of sins I don't pick on I think sometimes the religious right can say well you know they're self-righteous unsaved people who are just like bashing the homosexual community and so I always remind people self-righteousness will condemn you to hell just as much as homosexuality, any unforgiven sin will, any all unforgiven sins will will condemn anybody to hell. But they're trying to press, shove it down your face so much now that you you're you're intolerant if you don't agree with it. You know, right. and that's the thing. I, 
and I was talking to Gracie the other day about how I know she, it's just, it's issues all around her more than it is even me because I'm by myself most of the time and I can hear her talking about those issues and you know having to press through them and I just you handle it with love you handle people with love she's in Christian school yeah <laughs> so, I know yeah. it's, it's an issue in the church and and you you handle all anybody any any unbeliever with love but you have to tell them the truth too. I said you don't. You're not doing anybody a favor by leaving them in their sin, and and at least not telling them that they need to be. That there's no such thing as a Christian homosexual. It's just like there's no such thing as a Christian thief. You know, you don't say I'm a I'm a Christian thief. You know, any sin that's listed, and again, homosexuality is listed clearly as a sin in the scriptures, just as like adultery is. So there's no there's no hey I'm a Christian but I'm a Christian adulterer. It's, you don't. How come these, like my cousin Bill, who's married and, and he goes to St. Paul's Episcopal oh, Church? Sure it's a liberal church. It's like yeah. Trinity is a liberal church. Yeah. And that means they, they don't, they're not, it's not a church. They have homosexual pastors at, at uh, Trinity. They do? They have. Remember? Oh. They have. And they have, you know, of course, female pastors. And once you, once you give up the inerrancy of Scripture, this is where it all starts, then the slide begins. And usually it goes first to uh, you know, women in leadership, and then it goes to accepting homosexuals as members of the church. And then I was just leadership. saying how you could be a homosexual and preach with the Bible right there. You, well, you just deny the parts that you don't like. Well, that's pretty convenient. That's why it starts with inerrancy. You don't say, you don't say the Bible is perfect. And inerrant without error. Yeah, it's the word of God. They say it contains ideas. It contains ideas from God, and you know they just these ideas were from a long time. Yeah, they'll, they'll say it's a, it's a cultural thing, and now we've evolved. You know, it's just again, it's your your view of Scripture. If you don't have the highest view of Scripture, that is to say that every word is God breathed, and is it's inerrant, it's and it's sufficient, it's infallible. Because, of course, like we talked about Sunday school last week, or it might have been the week before, where, I, I mean, if you believe in the God at all of the Bible, then I don't know how, why you would ever have a problem believing that he can keep his word pure and protected and, per, and preserve it over the years. Through whatever means he chooses to do it. Because the God of the Bible spoke everything into existence. Everything, all the galaxies we can look out with our technology now and find... He spoke those into existence by the power of his voice. He just spoke them into existence. And he upholds all these things by his power. I think he's okay to inspire his word, preserve his word, and keep his word if you believe in the God of the Bible. But people who deny inerrancy and go that way, liberal, they don't believe in the God of the Bible, or they'd be saved. They don't believe Jesus Christ is Lord. They may say it, or they may say he's a good man, or whatever it is. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the one true God. You cannot believe that and have the view of scripture and like you say be a homosexual if you be if it says here's what I say people ask all the time is can you be a homosexual can you be Christian and a homosexual and I say yes for a very short season because when you get saved you come to faith in Christ all your sins aren't immediately eradicated out of your life you're immediately forgiven for all your sins at one time all your past, present, and future sins, right when you believe genuinely in your heart and you repented, 
You've humbled yourself. You've asked God for forgiveness based upon Christ. It's trusting in Him alone. You believe that He is God. Jesus is God. That happens at a moment. And all your sins are forgiven, but, you're, but as we know, your sanctification begins then. And so if you're a homosexual and you get saved, you're going to have those inclinations for a while. They're going to be very powerful. And you may, you may live that lifestyle for a little while, but not for long. God will rebuke you out of that. It's like when I was saved and the sins I had were homosexuality, but pornography and drinking and things that were idolatries in my life, smoking, he cleansed them. But it didn't happen that day I got saved. And so you could have viewed my life for the next couple of months, and I was still doing those things, but I was saved. But he was beginning the process of cleansing. And the same thing there. But here's the difference. These people that you're talking about, they say, I'm a Christian and I'm a homosexual. And they say it with a boldness and not even a struggle against it. So if you are a, a homosexual who became a Christian, becomes a Christian, you may have those temptations the rest of your life. But here's the difference. You're, you're struggling against them. You're not proud about it. You're not bragging. You're not being trying to change Scripture and say, well, hey, I, am, I know it says that these, these, and these people want to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says, and that's included in there. Again, I'm not picking on that particular group because there's other sins in there. The drunkards and the adulterers, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God either. But this is just the issue of the day now. You don't have a bunch of alcoholics out there saying, yeah, we're, we're the first set of drunk Christians on the planet now, and so it's not an issue you have to deal with. But this is an issue you have to deal with because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Oh, it is unbelievable how we this is. We were walking to the, this is a little off the subject, farmer's market this morning, and we ran into the Rushes, Sharon, and what's his name? Todd, well, I don't remember. Todd Rush's dad. What's his name, though? His dad. I can't remember. Because he said, make sure you say God and God. And I'm like, well, I wish I knew your name. But anyway, we were talking, and, and Gracie was standing there. And I was asking about, you know, they, they were going back to, remember when Jay and Shane, and, and, and they were talking about how Shane would peer in their window? And, that, and Gracie's yeah. going, yeah, <laughs> said, shut her ears. And I said, she goes, who's Shane? And I went, oh, boy. I said, how yeah. long do you have here? Yeah, I know. I was stuck in that. But it was funny that they were saying, well, that's how I would say to Grace. I was like, "Hey, I'm not. I don't deny. I mean, I won't tell you the things I did, oh, but, I, what she said. She but goes, I was not a Christian. Not, yeah. I was not a Christian. I didn't claim to be a Christian." I said, "That's why I hold you, Gracie, to a higher standard because you claim to be a Christian. I think she is." But I say, "This, you know, your behavior should be way more exceptional than mine was." And I, well, I had to explain that there was a group of you. I said they, they had it was Todd, Howard, Todd, Rush, and Shane, and. Basketball, basketball player. Pride, bunch of prideful basketball players. What we were. Yeah, and I said they were all a group, and I said Shane was not a. I mean, he was friendly and. Like well, that's what one of the Mr. Russia he said. You always knew Shane had that smile on him. Yeah. And, and she's, you know, but Sharon said, "Oh my goodness, we had some interesting times." And I said, "Yes, we did." Sociable, but but yeah, trouble in a lot of ways. I hope he's doing okay. I haven't talked in a while. I'll have to reach out to him. All right, well, we're going to have to close this out here. Okay, We've got two more verses to deal with, okay, and then we'll be done with general revelation. But you see how general revelation is, is all of the Bible. Yeah. It's an important topic, and we're going to tie this into evangelism here in the next couple of lessons. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. 
You've heard many people say that this life is all there is, and you may think they actually believe it. Yet you see the biblical truth here again, that God has given a sense of the eternal nature of the soul to every person made in his image. People may have suppressed the truth of God given to them to such a degree that they have come to a point of self-deception, but at some point they have had this knowledge to suppress. You see also at the end of this verse that the eternity set in their heart does not give access to the full disclosure of God's work. Of course, this, would be, this could be referring to God's hidden eternal decree, but also you can see this pointing to the insufficiency of this knowledge to obtain salvation, but only condemnation. So we've talked about, I've heard MacArthur say this, that general revelation cannot save you. The gospel, you have to hear the gospel and believe the gospel to be saved. But general revelation will hold you accountable without excuse. And so, in, in, but in this verse you can clearly see that he has set eternity in everybody's heart. We all know of the eternal nature of the soul. Alright. And we'll finish with this. The proper response would be Alright, so we're talking about the proper response to general revelation. Because we talk about this, okay. You know, God gives to every... So the person in, in some isolated village never heard, hears the Bible, never hears one scripture, never hears the word Jesus. How can God condemn that person? And as we'll go through this verse in Acts 17, it, it gives you a pattern of what would be the proper response to general revelation. That looks like cotton candy or something now <laughs> you redid it all right we got a few minutes to finish this up hon so don't get the dog all stirred up so you'll see here this is a really important verse where it shows you that if a person would properly respond to general revelation instead of suppressing the truth that god gives in creation in the conscience grace Instead of suppressing, the, instead of suppressing the truth, but here's the reality: we all did it, and everybody who has ever born does it, and everybody who ever will be born will do it. And, and again, why is that? Because the three words: love for sin. People love the sin we're born in, and so all the, the general revelation we suppress. But here is a good verse on on what would be the proper response to general revelation. All right, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth. He's talking about Adam, obviously. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God obviously decided when each of us was going to be born and where we were going to live. And here's verse 27. That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us so you see there that god has appointed our times and he has placed us where he wanted us to, where he wanted us to be and the purpose of that is so we would seek him and it says that if if we if you if you seek for god with all your heart you will find him and it talks about how he's not far from each one of us. Obviously, God is omnipresent. And so no matter where people are, no matter what tribe it is, no matter what country it is, no matter 
you know, any isolation, isolated village, God is present in that area because God is omnipresent. And the proper response to the information God gives is that they would seek him. But as we said, what happens? The universal response to general revelation is not proper, it's improper. People reject, suppress, and exchange. That's what we do. We all did it, and we all do it. But although all, even without the gospel, should seek God, see, this is talking about without the gospel here. The, the, the proper response to general revelation is that they would seek God based upon the information that they are given, but none of us do. Romans 3.11, even when the gospel is presented, okay, so somebody does receive the gospel, going beyond general revelation now, all can and should believe, but nobody will. There's the turning point. Nobody will because of the same reason, love for sin. People suppress general revelation for love for sin. People reject the gospel, love for sin. Three words in John 3.19 and John 7.7 and on and on. There's many places where Jesus talks about how light has come to the world, but people loved darkness. Second Thessalonians talks about in the end times that God sends people delusion so they'll, they'll believe the lie. Why do they believe the lie and reject the truth? Because they delighted in wickedness. Always the rejection of God is because of the love for sin. So that's why only when God, by his effectual call, overcomes that love for sin and hatred of himself, which and it's another thing, not only do unbelievers and that was us at the time we were unbelieving. Not only do we love sin, we hate God. And we've talked about that many times. But only, only by an effectual, inward, regenerating, effective call that causes faith, the Bible teaches that repeatedly, does a person finally want to believe what they should have from the beginning, the truth of God. And so that's the... You can see through the three pages we went through there, and I think there's probably many more places that I just haven't found yet, where it describes what is called what we call general revelation. It's revelation given to every single human being that comes to the point of self-awareness that they can recognize that they're sinning, and that doesn't take long. Again, I don't. There's. I don't think there's an age. Some people try and put an age on it. I think it's a condition that people reach at different points. I'm going. There's high. There's higher. And this is another reason where uh, you got to be so careful with kids. You know, three, four year olds, and you know, trying to talk them into get baptized and those things. You hear that a lot going on, and, and especially in Baptist churches, talk about the average person who becomes a Christian in a Southern Baptist church is baptized like two and a half times. <laughs> because they're baptized, kind of pushed into it when they're a kid, and then they kind of realize, you know what, that wasn't real, and then they think they have an emotional experience, so they get baptized again as a teenager, and then finally down the road they're like, they genuinely feel the conviction of their sin, and they trust in, genuinely trust in Christ and believe in Him, and so they get baptized again. <laughs> and so, I don't know what that can, you know, I just think it's, you got to be very careful to, to press a kid who can't really, you know, really get a feel, a real feel. Now, I think it's good to teach kids young to say, you know, I don't know, if you have to, you don't want to use the same language you use with an adult. You just, you know, the things that you intentionally, willfully do wrong 
you're gonna be held accountable for those things. So you want, you know, so the, but the, you can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ and kind of make them general talks, understanding that and just trying to plant a seed in their mind where they probably aren't even capable of of real conviction of their sin. And God only knows. God, you know, we talk about this. I think if uh, if somebody dies before they reach that point and it can become willfully rebellious against God, God saves that person, grants them grace and that Christ died somehow for their natural sin and they just didn't get to the point where they did willful sin. But that's for another discussion. But uh, but once, but the, but the truth of the matter that we've been dealing with is that everybody who comes to this condition does the same thing. Is we resuppress and reject that truth. And so I hope we've been thorough on this. And then yeah, we've been three three lessons on this. So we did the evangelism. We did this, and then next week we're going to do. We're going to we're going to try to t- begin to tie this into how this affects evangelism, how it should affect how we evangelize people, and how we talk to people, and then eventually maybe we will do the <laughs> the prototyping, and let let us all have some examples and things. I don't know if I want to play that. Thank you very much.